read about thought-provoking topics? Read along with a stress-free book club that fits into a busy lifestyle. From out of the pages to real life, explore the fine line between fiction and nonfiction as we pull from bestsellers that will change your life. Tune in to our bi-weekly book club of mind-bending and empowering stories hosted by Nova Lorraine, founder of Rain Magazine, and her two co-hosts, Toby Santagato and Barbara Donato. Welcome to another episode of Tuesday's Book Club. This is Nova Lorraine, and I am here with my lovely co-hosts, Toby Santagato and Barbara Donato. Hey, ladies. Hi. Hello. Our books are smart fiction and thought-provocative nonfiction for individuals that are on our journey of growth. So if you haven't already, subscribe and tune in every two weeks as we bring you life-changing, transformational books and novels that are often controversial, but we will promise you each and every one of them will change your life. We are going to review Boundaries for Leaders today. And before we get into that book, we're going to also give you our next two books. If you're not, if you're joining us for the first time, we cover a book each episode and we always give you the next two books so you can jot them down, go out and get them and follow along with each and every episode that we release. So the next two books on our list are Joy Luck Club by Amy Tan. And Hunger, A Memoir of My Body by Roxanne Gay. Okay, guys, so that's Joy Luck Club by Amy Tan. And then Hunger, A Memoir of My Body by Roxanne Gay. So today we're going to be covering Boundaries for Leaders by Dr. Henry Cloud. And before we get into what we think about the book, let's see what the publisher has to say. Boundaries for Leaders, clinical psychologist and best-selling author Dr. Henry Cloud leverages his expertise of human behavior, neuroscience, and business leadership to explain how the best leaders set boundaries within their organizations, with their teams, and with themselves to improve performance and increase employee and customer satisfaction. This book offers practical advice on how to manage teams, coach direct reports, and instill an organization with strong values and culture. So that is a summary for Boundaries for Leaders. And this book is a little different from the books we've covered in at least the last season and so far this season, where it's more of a straightforward business nonfiction book. But I also, as I was listening to the book, I found a lot of information that I can just bring into you know, my life, not just as a leader and a founder of, of, of brands and businesses, but just, you know, to improve relationships and personal relationships and myself and how to lead myself. I love how the book ends with that, but I want to hear from you guys. What do you guys think about the book? I loved it. I actually um, started reading another one of his books called Boundaries. And that book was, it just blew me away. So when I uh, started reading this book, I realized that you know, he he took a lot of what he wrote, a lot of the practice he wrote in Boundaries, and he implemented it in this book. And what I loved about the book was I, my, my original or my older day job was in, was working in management. And so I was able to kind of think about some of the leadership skills or the management styles that my former, um, my former bosses had. And one of the things that he talked about was 
how if you go in, you know, how he gave an example, excuse me, of someone having a weekly meeting. And it wasn't just a, a meeting where they were just talking and, and it was a goal. Everybody had a goal. Um, he talked about having, getting rid of distractions. He talked about fine tuning your focus. And so it made me remember one of my, my older former bosses who I adored him because he did that. He was, he was heavy on sales. And what he would do was he would have like a sales meeting. I think it was like every Thursday, if I can remember correctly. And he would really talk to all of us, like every single one of the branch managers in his region. And he would say, Hey, so what did you do? How did that work? You know, and, and so that way we could discuss what was working best for us, so other branch branch managers could implement it. What might not work, what you know what I mean, like certain things. And I just love that about him because he was so encouraging, and he really wanted us to focus. And he would give us kind of a direction of what he expected from us the following week. So he didn't really leave us out in the wind. You know what I mean? And and, and mm. when I think about what was written in this book about you know, a great leader and what a great manager does in order to grow his company, you know, my, my former boss came to mind um, in that respect. I mean, he was my boss's boss's boss, but still, he was still wonderful. <laughs> and I, what I got out of it, I, I love the idea of being ridiculously in charge and, mm, yeah. and, and it just, it resonated for me um, so much. So, and it's, it's, it's interesting. I, when I was taking economics 101, they, they talked about being a cash cow, right? And they talked about the story of Howard Johnson's, you know, years and years ago, depending on how old you are, you may have heard of Howard Johnson's. When I was growing up, I thought it was a hotel, but really it started out as the first fast food chain that I never knew that. Wow. And I learned that in economics. Yeah. And what happened was they were so sure, so sure that they would be where they were, that they became cash cows. And what a cash cow is, is that you don't, evolve and you don't change. So you can go become very successful, but then eventually you disappear. And so being ridiculously in charge is knowing that no matter the circumstances, you always have to be open-minded and continuously evolve. And so there are very many leadership people that have been at points in their life ridiculously in charge became very very successful and somehow some way have lost their way and so i think that an underlining theme is that it's not just about how you treat people but the continuous evolution of what you do in your relationships with organizations and with people for sure nova every moment i thought about my personal life because it's you know, they're all interconnected. So I think that that's something that wasn't straightforward expressed in the story. But but when you look at organizations and their success, you can find a lot of them that had been successful. And then generally this person doesn't go into organizations that hadn't been successful. He usually goes into organizations that have been successful, but are struggling. And it's it's when the leaders tend to pull back and just stop being ridiculously in charge. Yeah, no, I love that. And as you were talking, you know, what came to mind was just some basic personal principles that I've been trying to instill in my, in my kids as of late, where you are responsible 
for your happiness. You are responsible for creating the path that you want to take. And that's what I was thinking of when he said, you know, be ridiculously in charge. And when that first opening story and he reminded the, the, the founder of this and the founder was like, oh, wait a minute. You're right. I am in charge <laughs> and, and I can make these decisions and I can, I can, you know, create change. And, and one of the notes that I took was you get what you create and what you allow. And yeah. so then what does that do? It, it takes you out of this helplessness stance and puts you into a proactive, empowered mindset. You're like, oh, wait a minute. I can create that. I can create what I want and I can allow what I want. And then, so then you just step into this new mode of solution-based, solution-packed, more positive thinking, you know, in terms of how you can change things and turn things around in your organization if things are going south. And and I do like that, that he goes into places that started off with this miraculous, you know, jump to success. And then either they're petering, they're just, you know, stalling out or they're taking an extreme deep turn to the worst and he's brought in. And it's so it, the stories I also thought were very fascinating as well, breaking up just the prescriptive nonfiction, do this, do that. I loved all the stories that he brought in. I felt that it really brought it to life more. One of my absolute favorite stories is there's a, a there's a whole chapter about negativity mm-hmm. and there's, there's three choices with negativity. And I was really thinking about that on a personal level. You can either accept it you can change it or you can leave it. Those are your three choices. You mm. can either, and even in a relationship, if someone's super negative, a lot of people think, well, that's their problem, but it can eke out and poison a relationship or an organization, but you can either accept it. And sometimes he would go in there and he would say, look, you're second in charge. It will never change. Or mm. you can, so you'd have to get rid of it or you can change, right? A person has literally changed. So he tells this amazing story, which I'll briefly tell you, which was great, where they had this study where they took a a group of people that were incredibly knowledgeable on on a project. And then they took a group of people that really didn't know anything. And actually, frankly, they said, weren't that smart. And they gave them, they rolled out the project. And ironically, the group of people that were not that knowledgeable had really great coachable attitudes. And the other group that was so incredibly knowledgeable, knew every little detail, were experts. And at the end of the day, the group that weren't experts was the more much double, double the success of the other group. And I was like, oh my goodness, that's incredible. So coachability is more important than intelligence. And that was striking to me. Like having a good attitude is infectious. And when it's in a personal relationship or an organization, what he does is he first looks at the culture and, and the culture is everything. And, and one step further, he takes it, which I think is absolutely true is if in a culture, everybody is on an Island in their goals so that if I sell a hundred units, I'm successful, but everybody else could be failing at the end of the day, it erodes the whole organization. So at first people seem successful and who cares? I'm successful over here. And I see that a lot in organizations, but if you get everybody either succeeds or fails in group goals, you'll have a much better culture because everybody's got each other's back. And he talks about that too. I think it was really excellent point. I love that. I love that when he talked about 
during like, you know, the, the financial crisis that we had. And, and he had all of the, I guess, the stockbrokers up together and they all had a meeting and they were all just, you know, what, you know, what, what time do you wake up in the morning? Oh, I wake up at three. Oh, I wake up at four. And so as they spoke, they began to realize that they all were going through it. They were all having, you know, insecurities. They were all, you know what I mean? There, there was one guy, I guess he had, he had said that he had worked for over 20 years and he had been a top producer. And then he found himself struggling to even pick up the phone. And he, and, and so they all were able to kind of, you know, commiserate together, but then also build each other up. Um, so as the months went by, he was able to speak to one of them that was in the meeting and they were like, you know what? Thank you. Because I needed to know that there was, there was somebody out there that was going through what I was going through and that we could work through it together. Yeah, it's really great. And a lot of times, if you notice, and I've worked in, you know, with different organizations, they'll have meetings that are just with the sales group, just with the client reps, just with, you know, different groups. And that's all well and good. But a lot of times one hand doesn't know what the other hand is doing, but they're all related. And Mm -hmm. so it's important to have, you know, global meetings and connecting people with each other so that you, first of all, you have duplication of work a lot of times because you're, it's not, the processes aren't set up as, as good, but also like people should support one another. Like if I can do something to help my sales team and they can do something to help my client reps, it it works out better that way because it's a one organization, right? If one group is failing, ultimately the whole organization is going to erode. And so he goes in there and he tries to connect all those dots and it starts with the leader because this is a book about leadership. So a lot of times the leaders, well, really all the time, the leaders are the people that set the culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I, one of the things that stood out to me that was mentioned early in the book was as he was interviewing the staff, the executives that were threatening to leave this one organization, they all really loved the founder and the leader, they loved, they loved the leader. The founder loved the staff. And so they said that, you know, this has nothing to do with how likable you are or how much of a good person you are. And this, like this happens to good people both on both ends where you lose the desire, you don't feel as appreciated, you lose focus. And so just because you have good people and talented people together on a team doesn't mean the business is going to work and how critical it is that not only do you have focus, but everyone is on the same page in terms of what that goal is. Right. And so it, and it really comes full circle because it wraps up at the end with let's, it goes back to yourself as to your point, Toby, it starts with the leader, but if you don't have that focus within you, then how could that spill out? you know, into the team and the idea and the business may grow instantly because there's a demand and a need for this product, but then to sustain the company and to scale the company, you know, what are those elements that are necessary for that to happen? Well, I think that one of the problems going back to culture and when I, if, if, and when I go into a, a company and I'm fresh, I like to implement this questionnaire that I created. And it basically is 
questions for the people that work for the company. And a lot of times, you know, the owner of the organization will be like, why do I care? Really, honestly, they, why do, why do I need to know that? But what you need to know is, you know, do they want to be there long-term? Do they want to be there short-term? Is this a stepping stone? What, what are they happy with? What are they not Mm -hmm. happy with? And then you, Mm -hmm. you create this document for the owner. Of course, if the owner is completely not interested, then, you know, as the person that's trying to help the leader, you, you write then and there, no, you can't. You're not mm. going to help a leader that doesn't want to know what's going on with the mindset in a private. The, so these surveys, they don't put their names on them. So, mm. it, you know, they, they, they feel free to share. And so that's when you can really get down to the cultural shifts that need to happen. If you want to make if you want people at your organization to be happy, you have to know what is driving their emotions. And then you can adjust the way you lead that that group of people. Mm. So I think yes, that's important. I agree. And, you know, there was two stories that, that, you know, that stayed with me, or at least that affected me. One of them was um, the story that he told of the dad, where he sees his, he walks into the company, sees his son just yelling, oh, oh, yeah, rating oh, an employee. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he just brings his son into the office and he goes, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to wear two hats today. And um, he was like, I'm going to be a boss. I'm going to be your dad. Okay. Well, first things first, I'm your boss. You're fired. He proceeds to tell the son what he did wrong, Mm -hmm. why he did what he did, you know, why he fired him. And, and, you know, and going back on, I've told you this before, you shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be berating employees in front of other people, you know, and just gave him the spiel. And then he goes, and now I'm going to wear the father hat. And he goes, and I love this. He goes, son, I just heard you lost your job. How can I help you? It was great. It was yeah, wonderful. That was a powerful story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. Like and it book. just, I just love how that story led into the emotional climate and what makes the brains, brains perform and just how a leader can set the tone by how, you know, in, in how they speak and, and how they carry themselves or, and how they address their employees on what the workday is going to be and how, and, and the output that their employees are going to have. One of the things that I love that he says is that, you know, not everybody's the same. You're going to have an employee that even if your intention is to, you know, be positive, you know, just by saying, hey, you know, this is not right or you could do better next time, they can internalize that as something extremely negative. You know, so, uh, you know, you have to be very sensitive to your employee as well. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, we don't know what our employee is feeling, you know, at the time when we're speaking to them. But I love that he's able to kind of, uh, that he tells us that we have to set those, those boundaries of like, no, this is going to go into a negative space. I recognize it's going to go into a negative space and I need to do something about it. Like you had stated, Toby. Um, another story that he talked about was how he himself was speaking with one of his employees and like he could tell that there was something wrong and, and and he asked her, Hey, is there something going on? And she goes, well, sometimes when you're upset or when you're, you know, not happy about a situation, you come in and you're angry and oh, yeah, uh, we yeah. tend to call it <laughs> the wrath of Henry. So yeah. like he even brought in an example of, of what he went through and where he was like, wow, I have to do self-reflection and right. find out and speak mm. to my employees as well and see what it is that I'm doing to make them feel like they're you know, they don't want to talk to me or they're going to be closed or they're going to be on the defensive. So I, I do, I love how he, how he puts stories in that are, you know, very meaningful, but also like that we can read and go, Hey, I've been in that place and I can understand it. 
And I think also, you know, we always say this, like, say, since we're all married, you know how you, you say, to, you'll maybe even say to your husband, it's not what you said, it's the way you said it. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I haven't said that a million times, yeah. right? It's literally in the delivery. So I, I was I was thinking, I had a situation recently where, you know, I had like my best month and I got a criticism, not even like a good, good job. And then the criticism. And I was thinking back to, so all of us, for anybody listening, have all raised gymnastics, uh, children of gymnastics. And I remember my daughter was telling me, uh, coach Jim, who we love so very much, whom all of us know well, <laughs> was the best coach because he did the sandwich theory. And I'm like, Ariel, what's the sandwich theory? And she goes, well, Jim goes, and and he was a beam coach and he would do this. Ariel, you have such great pointed toes. Ariel, why are you falling off the beam? Ariel, what nice landing. He did Mm. a a compliment, a correction and a compliment. Mm. So, I mean, we are human beings and we all Mm. want to be spoken to in a certain way. And I think we're all the same. Be nice when you criticize, you know, do do it in a certain way where we don't feel so deflated that we don't, we give up. And uh, I think it's the delivery. I think that every single thing that needs to be said can be delivered in a way that's more palatable than just kicking you in the pants. So, and I talks about that in the book. He says, you know, it's not how you say it. It's is how you say it. It's not what you say. Delivery matters. That's so true. And, and, you know, that does affect the environment and the culture that you both brought up as it relates to, you know, maintaining that positive culture. Um, Going back to the, the employees that were hired that failed the aptitude test and those that passed with high scores on the aptitude test. And if you don't have that positive mindset and that positive environment, it doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how nice you are you know, the business or the project is not going to succeed. But it was another uh, story that I enjoyed or part of the book and that I enjoyed where it talked about helplessness versus control and how you can lead with giving as much control as possible to your employees and, and how we as humans optimize results when we feel we can control the situation. And I think back to, you know, micromanagers, which is, both of you know this, like I do not like to micromanage, but at the same time, the, on the opposite side of that, if you're not giving enough attention and inhibition in terms of don't look to your left, don't look to your right, just look at what's in front of you, you know, then you're still, things are still going to go awry. But in terms of leading with allowing your team to control what's in front of them and their outcomes and how powerful that is. And then using the tips that he brought in from the beginning of the book, it needs to start with that focus and eliminating the distractions and keeping everyone, you know, tuned into what are the immediate goals that are going to make the most impact today? What are those short-term goals, mid-term goals, long-term goals, keeping that all in perspective, but what's going to move the needle the most today? And is everyone on the same page about it? Is everyone speaking the same language? Because when I say blue and you hear red, this still isn't going to happen. So he even brings in. Definitely. You know, same page is yeah. a big theme. Same page is a big theme for him, for sure. Yeah. I agree with that. That same story page. where there was like, he said there was the employees 
were going in seven different directions, like they had seven different managers telling them seven different things. I've been in companies like that where nobody knows what the other group is supposed to be doing. And it does just doesn't make any sense. And then they wonder why they're not successful. And what ends up happening is infighting. Because when different groups have different goals and and what I I was uh, with one organization where the manager would give different people the same project and I would constantly say, you can't do that because different people, first of all, you're paying them both, which makes zero sense, but you're also giving them the identical project at the same time and feelings would get hurt. I thought I was chairing that. I thought you were chairing that. It just, it became, it was, it was insanity. Uh, So you got to make sure that everybody knows what they're what they're supposed to be working on and when they need to reach out to other groups and work together. And, and, and it's, uh, it's concerning when you've got a leader that is really eroding the culture. It's, it's actually top down. You know, I worked for this company that uh, had the most brilliant visionary as a leader. And I remember stepping into the office for the first time and it just seemed, so just imagine going from a, a sunny day outside and walking into a really gray day. That's what, that was the mood and the energy in the space where oh, everyone was in cubicles. Um, you know, it was a monochromatic space because I also believe the environment says a lot about the energy and creativity and the inventiveness that you're going to get from your team. But that's, but let's put that to the side. So everyone's in cubicles, these gray cubicles and everyone's head is down and their shoulders are like slumped in and it's really quiet. And even when you walk around, everyone just seemed very timid and afraid. And when you would try to, you know, I was brought in as a, as um, a consultant and advisor. And when I would try to elicit ideas, there was such fear to just share the idea or, or there wasn't any excitement that the idea would even be accepted to be carried through because the past experience was it was shot down, but not that it was just shot down by the leader. It was shut down with such a negative tone and with such harsh words, it really just it just peeled away the confidence that each person had and what was keeping them there. Cause that was another shock. Cause I was like, okay, well, if no one's happy here, right. <laughs> cause you could just see from the body language, why is everyone still here? Because the, the, the leader, the founder would pay the team, you know, good enough money where you felt that, Oh, if I leave here, where am I going to get this somewhere else? But then also their self-esteem was so eroded. They didn't feel that they could even, succeed somewhere else. It was such a crazy environment and such a contrast with how one can lead through fear and how one could lead through, you know, optimism. And I remember these executives were brought in around the same time and their, their thoughts were, wow, this could be a billion, multi-billion dollar company, but it's a fraction of that just because of how these teams are being led. And that was so interesting. You could still make a lot of money, but it doesn't mean that you're optimizing what you could be doing or how you could be growing and scaling if the teams aren't led in the right way. And so, yeah, I had to bolt out of that situation, but it really brought back memories of what a negative environment looks like. Another issue with boundaries is actually completely the opposite where the uh, culture is where the person that's in charge really believes that everybody should have a say, which sounds Mm. like this fabulous idea, but actually is a nightmare because if 
people feel too empowered to where they become almost uh, disrespectful. And I've and I was in a situation like that. And, and, you know, the 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 owner was like, I care about culture. I want them to feel empowered. But there is a hierarchy and there's a balance to be struck with that. So while you want people to have a say, you also need to have boundaries in when they have that say and when they need to be, you know, little soldiers and follow along and be respectful. And and so there is both sides to that. Um, I think where it, it comes together in a nice format is when you do respect people and you communicate what your expectations are. And I think it's important that people see a future vision. So one of the things that I like to do is have them say what they want. What do they want to see happen to them? So that as as the, you know, some people are literally only there temporarily. And if they feel, if you, if you have 30 people, say, a, you know, a small organization of 30 people, and you find that 60% of the people are just there temporarily, then it, that might be fine for the owner. And they might be happy with that because it's not a very difficult position and they can continuously shift people in. And that's, that works for the, the, you know, for financially. But if the owner's like, well, that's going to suck because I'm going to have to retrain over and over again. There's, there's just, you have to come together and understand what the goals of the organization are and what the people want to have happen in their personal lives through this organization. And I think that often people start a company and it gets busy and they just hire people and they don't put in those cultural foundational aspects that are super important for growth. Yeah, I agree with that, Toby. And one of the things that the book talks about, too, is developing trust, you know, tr- trust as a team, trust in, definitely, in leadership. Definitely. Mm. And and the thing that 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 I liked about the book as well, you know, I, there's a lot of things I liked about the book. But one of the things one of the things I liked about the book was the when the author stated, once you have direction, once you have that focus, once you have that trust, once you have that team builder, you know, the, 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 the team building and the team camaraderie. Now creativity can flow. Innovation mm. can flow because there's low stress mm. and they're able to now no longer think about, oh my God, the boss hates me or this person hates me. They're like, okay, this is the direction that they want me to go. This is the goal that they want me to reach. How I have the opportunity to get there and to think about how I can get there smarter and faster and with better quality. So uh, that's, that's the, the trust, book is so trust amazing. Is a, trust is a big deal with, you know, and that's the Huge. point that Nova was saying, like this book is not just about uh, boundaries of a leader. It's, it's really c- goes over into a personal relationships. It, there, exactly. there, there's, you know, if you're, if you're in a relationship with somebody and they are, don't see the sunny side of things, it's okay to have moments, but if someone's perpetually negative, you have three choices, stay, leave change. Mm. And it's, it's very clear. And that really can impact somebody. If you're with, if you're a person that's a visionary and it's okay to be with somebody that might be conservative, that reigns you in and and balances you. But if somebody's with you and 24 seven telling you that you're making stupid decisions, that's negative. And that can really impact you. You don't live on an Island. You live with other people. And so whether it's personal or in an organization, now in an organization, I think part of the problem is that leaders have internally know their vision for their organization, but very rarely tell their 
the people that work for them. Imagine what it would be like if a leader sat down with this organization and says, this is my goals, right? I want to make a ton of money. And here's my benchmarks. Here's my three-year, here's my five-year. Help me get there. And this is what mm. that's, this is what's in it for you. Mm. It doesn't happen. That. It doesn't really happen that way. Not that it. often. But when it does, it's magical. Yeah, it is. I would love to talk about, so most of the times when we're we're sharing our thoughts on the fictional books that we're reading, we we come up with what happens next, right? right. And yeah. with this nonfiction about leadership and boundaries, and, he, and Barbara touched on this in terms of reflection, how important it is for us as leaders, maybe the leaders within our family or within our friend groups, it could be a volunteer club we're a part of. You know, I think we are all leaders and teammates in, in multiple scenarios. And I would love us to share what we would like to do, what we're taking from this book moving forward. It may be on a personal side or within our own organizations as someone on the team or someone leading the team. So I think this would be a great way of how to talk about what we're doing next as it relates to this book. So who wants to jump in? I can do it real quick. So I actually had a meeting with the head of the MDA, which is in, in Mintouchen where I live. There's a, a town organization. My Mignolo Art Center is on the outskirts of that organization, but a lovely, uh, the lovely chair of that, Isaac, uh, met with me and wanted to share with me that making connections is so important for any organization. And he gave me this great book which is, it's about, I won't push the book, but it's about loving your city. And, and it can, it can actually be talking about loving anything. When you love something, you nurture it. So one of the ways to love the city that you live in is to make connections with individuals inside the city, right? So mm. um, we take from cities, we take, we go to this store and we take from that store, but do we go in and we, do we share who we are as people in the world and how mm. we want to so- support each other? So what I, one of my goals is to just really make connections with people in, in the city, in Metuchen and see what I can do to help their vision and, and not even that. worry about Magnolia Arts Center, but more like, what can I do to be of service in that that's all that matters. Um, and that's kind of one of the things that I, I want to do moving forward. And of course, oh, there's a tri- there's a trickle down. Yeah. There's incredibly, Metagen is mainly small business owners. So it'd be lovely like to, to meet them and, and, and get to know them. So I would, that's kind of what I want to work on moving yeah, forward. Yeah, and it even says in the book where, you know, you want to facilitate connections that boost energy and momentum. And I love how you pulled it into your local city. Like I'm inspired because there's this, this little uh, coffee shop cafe that I love to go to and they know me by name. And I know most of the, you know, workers there by name, but I haven't even thought about it as, well, I do this, you know, through my business and online and, and my networks, but I haven't even thought about doing it in my local community. And so I love how you brought that up and how you're going to like, just naturally and organically create this momentum and this energy through this extended version of connections. Love that. Thank you. It's a, it's going to be you. fun. I think, I think it's going to be really fun. It's going to be wonderful. I can't wait to see what comes out of it. Mm-hmm. Well, for me, I, I've already started to do this already. Actually, I work for an amazing, wonderful woman and she's already started. She's already set up meeting weekly meetings. And what I love is our team we sit down together. We talk about what we've done 
in the in the last week. And then we talk about, you know, what we could do better in the in the week ahead. And then we go over certain things that we want to do to make our, you know, you know, our the network better. So and I love it because we are able to really talk about what works, what doesn't work. We, we, you know, we, we come up with different ideas and then we try to implement those ideas. Sometimes when they work, we're like, oh my goodness, cause let's look at what I did. And then sometimes when they don't work, we're like, okay, this doesn't work. Well, you know, we'll start, you know, we'll start over again and we'll keep it moving. And I just love the energy, you know, every, at the end of the meeting, Murray, who I love, he just is so excited, and he and he always says, "Guys, I love working with us. I I, I can't we're I can't wait to see what we have ahead. I can't wait to see what we have in store, and it just makes us all want to see. You know, it, it motivates us to to go. Yes, what do we have in store? What are we doing to contribute to make you know this 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 company better? You know, and I and I love that. You know, it's wonderful, and you want it. You want to do more because you feel good about what you're doing, and that's exactly important. Whether it's a huge organization or a small organization, we have we kind of have to identify each individual. Like, our, our what is it? The sum of the parts. Every single person is important, and if you know what they want, and and you know, it, it's funny. I asked my husband once when he ran this comp this company. I said, "Why did it work?" Like he really ran this amazing organization. The company sold and his team seven years later is still together. Seven years later still, or eight. I said, what did you do? How did you do it? And he said, here's what I did. I hired everybody. And then I told them how to do the job. And then I said, if you can do it differently, bring it to me. And I let them do their job. I didn't, micro and I'm a micromanager. Oh, yeah, yeah. But he didn't do that. Now, did he manage them? Of course, of course, he he managed them. He didn't like, you know, leave them on an island, but he he gave them some autonomy. And I asked him once, there was only one time did he hire someone and it didn't work out. And I said, what happened? And he had such, I said, were you sad? You know, he it was within the 90 day trial. I said, he said, I don't think it was a good fit for her. And I knew if I let her go, it'd be better for her because she'd have something better. And I'm like, oh, that's so cool. Like, so- you know, if, if you identify all these people at your company and you learn what they want, sometimes you do let them go because they're not really meant for your vision. And so it's not a curse to let someone go if they're not meant to fit into the vision. It's a gift because something's better for them. I love that. And I, I love how <laughs> as a leader, and this goes into at the end of the book, he discusses how we have to have an open platform for ourselves as leaders, where we are continuously looking to outside sources, mentors, coaches, advisors, to bring in fresh ideas, to bring in fresh energy, to help us grow as leaders. And I love how you're not just asking, well, what worked, but what didn't work, right? Because that's just as important. And one, as a leader, you're seeking you know, advice and insight from someone who built a successful, sustainable team. But then you also are like, okay, wait a minute. There are things that may not have worked. What were those things as well? So I can keep an eye out for that. So love that. Love everything that you both had shared. You know, there was a couple of things that stood out to me that I wanted to start implementing. One was a fresh perspective on meetings <laughs> because <laughs> I am so tainted by the traditional dragged out, non-productive meetings where you're just in meeting after meeting, day after day, 
and it's not leading any leading to anything. It's it's not purposeful. And so my style of leadership is to minimize meetings and to make them as efficient as possible. And so sometimes that leads to just one group meeting a week. And I was really struck by the daily 20 minute meeting that the book shares in the very beginning and how it led to this really productive team. And I was like, huh, okay. And then he talked about different types of meetings. You know, you have your weekly, you have your monthly, you have your quarterly and how they could be just shaped around different goals and to either either optimize the culture or strengthen the connections between the team members or create new ideas to move forward. So I just have a fresh perspective of meetings now and I want to look at, okay, what are the goals that we want to accomplish? Where are we lacking? And where can I implement more meetings that are still efficient but very purposeful? And the second thing that I want to do is to really analyze what are the immediate goals in front of us? And as a visionary, I think for me, that's a challenge because I could see the big picture and I want it all to happen now. Let's go. And to really just bring it back to the moment and to just what is the biggest thing we can do right now to move the needle forward and and put the blinders on, not get distracted by all the other things that we want to do for the 10-year plan or the five-year plan, but really look at the most impactful next step. So that's something that I'm excited to really reflect on. And then this just came to me, Toby, when you mentioned sharing the the bigger goals and the milestones. And this is something that I do with the individual team members as they're brought on in the beginning. But I love the idea of as the team comes together, as the team grow, grows to continue to share what that vision is. And we know that if you're a year in, well, those milestones have moved and the goals may have changed. So to clearly state that on a consistent basis, so everyone is, you know, they understand what's in my head as a visionary. And so love that, that just, I was inspired. Well, and and our, one of my favorite books was The Law of Attraction. But if we really truly believe in the law of attraction, then if you don't share continuously what your vision is, then how are you going to attract it if it's just in your head? Mm. Mm. Good point. Yes. And boom, that was a mic drop moment right there. <laughs> what? <laughs> share, share, share. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. No, this was good. This uh, Boundaries for Leaders, great book. Um, Henry Cloud is the author. Again, you can step into the book from a perspective of how can I be a better person for myself? How can I better lead myself? How can I better lead my my family or the club I'm a part of or the team that I'm participating as a coach? How can I better lead? So there's so many aspects that this book can be brought into above and beyond leading an organizational team or teams. You and know, it all comes down to communication. Met. If you think about it, it's literally coming down to communication. So maybe yeah. I just, just got inspired. Like maybe sometimes you need to sit down with your husband and say like, what do we want? What do we want? What's our mm. one, three, five. I don't think yeah, I've done that. that with my husband. What's my, what's our one, three, five, babe. I mean, we're together 24 seven. We, I work remotely. He works, you know, we should, you know, do that with our, our media. And then if we have, you know, family businesses, like I do, like what's our one, three, five, you know, mm. and, and what do we want? What do we want? You know, because we don't talk to the people that are most important to us. What do we want? What do you want? What do I want? And then it trickles. Then, then you have a health boundary for yourself. And then, you know, in your organizations, what do we want? You know, do we want, you know, for us, do I want Mignolo here 20 years? Maybe, but 
but have I sat down and really talked about it with the team? You don't have those conversations because there's an assumption that we know. Mm, I love that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just wrote that down because <laughs> I'm literally, <laughs> literally going to have a conversation with, with my family, yeah. with the kids. I want them to think about what is their one, three, five. It's you good. know what I'm saying? They're early enough in the year in their life where they can start thinking about that because I think that we're conditioned to just, oh, what do you want to do when you grow up? And and you and you both know this. I talk about this in my book, you know, Unleash Your Supernova. It's not just about what do you want to do when you grow up. There's so many different phases of our lives and they change and our wants and desires change as we grow. Yeah, they evolve. So if you only have that yeah. one three five one time and next year you assume, well, we're all still on the same page because you're still on the same page, but Uh-oh. your spouse or your best friends are <laughs> not even in a negative way. Maybe their one three five is really exciting and you want to do their new one three five. You're like, oh wow. I yeah. like that. I love, that's my new little thing now. So what's your one, three, five. Yes. <laughs> okay, tell me, so you're going to do a book. What's your one, three, five. Yes. There you go. Oh my goodness. Oh. <laughs> Give me more hours in the day. I love it. <laughs> yes. Yes. And then we opened up with ridiculously in charge, being yes. ridiculously in charge. At the end of the day, we can create what we want and allow what we want. So if you don't take anything else from that book, on the specifics in terms of the tactical things you're going to do with your teams. Just know that whatever you are choosing or you have a choice, basically you have a choice to create and you have a choice to allow. So I think that is like the most profound thing. It also talks about, as, as you mentioned, Toby mentions um, it overlaps with the book, just ask and it is given the power of now, like all these things that we've, we've shared in so many of our other podcasts that let's remember we are ridiculously in charge. charge. Amen. Yeah. Love that. All right. Well, I think this is a good time to wrap it up. And just as a recap, our next two books are Joy Luck Club and Hunger, a memoir of my body. And that's by Roxanne Gay. Joy Luck Club is by Amy Tan. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of my Tuesdays book club, where we're looking to bring books to you that will change your life. Subscribe and please share this podcast with those that you know will benefit from it, that are on a journey, that are looking to transform and grow. So share and like and download and listen. And as always, I'm going to thank my beautiful co-hosts that continue to inspire me both on the show and off the show, Toby Santagato and Barbara Donato. And if you haven't checked out their brands, their businesses, can you guys just give a shout out? Mignolo and Mignolo Art Center. Pink Kangaroo. I'm the host of my cryptocurrency chronicles. Yes. So check them out, guys. Um, My Cryptocurrency Chronicles podcast on Pink Kangaroo, and that's kangaroo with a U.com and the Mignolo Art Center. Definitely Google them, follow them. They're on Facebook. They're on all your major social platforms, and they're here to inspire all forms of art. So please check them out. They support artists in every way. And yeah, until next time, I'm Nova Lorraine, founder of Rain Magazine, and my newest project, the rain drops that's rain with an e the rain drops nft art house and again please if you have not yet gotten the book unleash your supernova what are you waiting for increase your creativity and beat burnout okay guys until next time bye bye